Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvat Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us on Zoom or in the building Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. For the Zoom link, please contact tikvatdirector at gmail.com or contact us on our website, tikvatisrael.com. There you can also support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and find helpful resources. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Won't you be mine? Could you be mine? You know it, sing with me. It's a neighborly day in this beauty world, a neighborly day for a beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighbor. So let's make the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say, say with me, would you be mine? Won't you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please? Won't you please? Please, won't you be my neighbor? All right. But uh, nobody can do it like Fred Rogers, popularly known as Mr. Rogers, right? All right. Well, Mr. Rogers had a TV show on PBS with this theme, which he sang at the beginning of every show as he put on his sneakers and cardigan, which I, you know, I guess I didn't have it up here. But it wasn't just a song. It was a real invitation. Mr. Rogers had a divinity degree and an ordination from the Presbyterian Church, but he followed his true calling into children's television. He taught children how to deal with their anxieties, get along with others, and other biblical values. He spoke directly to the camera, knowing that kids all over needed to be valued and loved. And he had a, a calm, loving presence that resonated on the air for over 30 years. Here's an excerpt from the book, The Good Neighbor by Maxwell King. Quote, there is no better, better illustration of Fred Rogers' true daring in the medium of television than in the seminal 1981 episode featuring Jeff Erlanger, a quadriplegic, highly intelligent 10-year-old who'd been in a wheelchair since age four. The camera zooms in on Mr. Rogers, asking Jeff about the mechanics of his wheelchair in a tone no different than one he might have used when asking a young man about his favorite ice cream flavor. This is how I became handicapped, said the sweet-faced boy with a self-awareness that would put most adults to shame. As Jeff details his medical condition in a calm, measured way, Mr. Rogers listens intently and praises Jeff's ability to discuss it in a way that might help other people. Your parents must be very proud of you. Together, Jeff and Mr. Rogers together sing, It's You I Like. How does that go? It's you I like. It's not the things you wear. It's not the way you do your hair. But it's you I like. The way you are right now. The way deep down inside you. Not the things that hide you. But it's you, it's you, I like. Fred Rogers dealt with difficult topics in a style that calmed and nurtured children. 
When his pet goldfish died, Mr. Rogers didn't replace the fish. Instead, he told his viewers, his television neighbors, what happened and used the occasion to talk about loss and sadness and death, unquote. Even after his passing, the legacy of Mr. Rogers lives on in the spiritual successor to his show, Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. How many have seen that one? Yeah, it's so it's still living on. That's right. Through his life and television ministry to children, every episode that Mr. Rogers did exemplified this iconic verse from the Torah. Ve'ahavta l'reacha komocha. What does it mean? And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's right. Good job, David. You get a Torah point. Okay. This verse comes from this week's Parsha and is, uh, I would consider it the heart of the Torah. And uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of scholars, a lot of rabbis consider it the heart of the Torah, and you may do that as well. So let's explore these three powerful Hebrew words one by one. Beginning with the first one, which is and you shall love. So the rabbis ask the same question that the modern troubadours ask. What do we ask? We, what do we want to know? What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. What is love? Sorry, I got carried away there. I was doing, that's something else. I'm sorry. But, uh, but that is what we hear in the songs, right? And that's what modern love songs they'll always ask, right? And they're always talking about love. But is that what the Torah means by love? Mm, maybe it's a little different, right? So how does the Torah define it? The first time that the verb appears, ahava, or ohev in the, in the verb form, uh, is in the binding of Isaac's story, the Akita. Uh, and this is what it says. Uh, now it was after these things that God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, Hineni, he said, here I am. Then he said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Ohev, right? Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains about which I will tell you. So this is the first time that the word love appears in the Torah. And the first mention, Ahava, is in the context of Abraham's love for his son, Isaac. This love compels him to offer up his only son, the son of promise and covenant, the son he and Sarah had in their old age, the son they never thought that they would be able to have. In this case, love involves an entrusting of the loved one to God. It's a real surrender, surrendering of that person to God. So there's no selfishness here. There's no possessive motivations at all. That's how love is first defined in the Torah. A further expansion on love, which uh, agape in the Greek is given by Yeshua with reference to this exact verse. And uh, I believe uh, our administrator, Meggie, uh, read it recently, so it should be in your head. Uh, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and good and sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Even the tax collectors do the same, don't they? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than anyone else? Even the pagans do that, don't they? Therefore, be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. 
So love is expressed through kind action, not only to our neighbor, but as we see here, to those who have wronged us. Love is returning meanness with kindness. Love is imaging God who loves and provides for the righteous and unrighteous. If you're having trouble forgiving someone, why not pray for them? David Stern in his New Testament, a Jewish New Testament commentary, makes this comment about the verse. It is realistic enough to have been flattered by imitation in a well-known medieval Jewish work. This is from Orchot Tzadikim. Pray for your enemy that he may serve God. It's even in, in the Jewish tradition. And this brings us to the second word, Loreacha, which means your neighbor. Well, sort of. Before we get to the reacha, we're going to talk about the l, because it's actually a prefix, l reacha. So we have to talk about the l. If you'll allow me a little bit of Hebrew grammar here, will you allow me that? Okay, I think it'll help. So in Hebrew, there's a word that indicates the object of something. Like uh, David loves Sonia would be David ohev et Sonia. Did you hear the extra word there? You wouldn't translate in Egypt, but there's an et there to indicate who is loving whom, in case you were curious or you didn't know, right? And that's what they have in Hebrew. For the other important ve'ahavta, we notice there is an et, right? Ve'ahavta et Adonai Elohecha, and you shall love the Lord your God. So that et really isn't translated. It just shows that that that's the object of our love. The one that we're supposed to love is the Lord, our God, right? But here in this verse, ve'ahavta, loreacha, there's not an et. What is there? There's a l, there's a lamed, okay? So what is that l there for? Okay, so the lamed, as a prefix, it means for or to or by, or it indicates possession. For example, L Eric would be for Eric or to Eric or by Eric or even belonging to Eric. So the rabbis thought perhaps this could be translated this way. You shall show love to your neighbor or you shall send love toward or for your neighbor or you shall love what belongs to your neighbor as what belongs to you, kind of making it practical and personal. Essentially, what is this about? This is about empathy. Anything that would be two or four or that your neighbor would have, imagine if that were happening to or for you. Mentally put yourself in their position. This is hard for us as humans because we love our own perspective. We love our own experience. I recently got coffee with a friend and he started off in a very empathetic way. Even though he is not a dad currently, he was able to articulate the challenges that I was experiencing as a new dad. What I was, how to pray for me and how to support me. And I really felt loved and I felt understood. And I felt that was a very good example of Loreacha, Beahavta Loreacha, and you shall love toward your neighbor, right? You shall love what your neighbor is experiencing, right? And, and be able to articulate that and love that and come out of your own experience. The distinguished Spanish 
medieval Jewish commentary, Ibn Ezra, took a similar view. He said, Lareacha means to love that which is good for your neighbor as for yourself. Uh, Malbim Ayelet Hashachar, a rabbinic commentary with a grammar focus composed in the mid-1800s, explains it like this. And this is similar to what I just told you about the et and the l, the lamed. Quote, the verb ahav, love, is always linked with et. And when it is written, ve'ahavta l'reacha komocha, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, it means he would love for his friend to attain whatever he wants to attain for himself. And this is the difference between the word et, which teaches about the essence of the action, and the letter lamed, which teaches about the attainment of the matter, unquote. So the rabbinic summary is this, which I think has some logic. The l is there because you want for that person what you want for yourself. And how do we get there? We use empathy and understanding to get there. So now we come across the rest of the word, the second word, reacha, your neighbor. So now I have to ask the obvious question. Won't you be my neighbor? No, wait, that's Mr. Rogers' question. Okay, so my question and the question of the rabbis is this. But wait, 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 who is my neighbor? You were thinking that, right? Or were you thinking, won't you be my neighbor? Or you weren't thinking any of those. I'm just putting words in your mouth. Okay, I'm sorry about that. All right. So some rabbis originally understood this to be your fellow Israelite, other Jews. It's even translated this way, uh, this way in some versions of the Torah that I found online. You shall love your fellow Israelite as yourself. They just translated their 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 interpretation. I mean, it's easier to love those that are in our group, those that are similar to us. It's harder to show love, compassion, and empathy with those that are different, those that we consider to be the other. Some rabbis, such as Rashbam, felt that this referred only to the righteous. We are only to love those who are upright. So that's that's an interpretation that's out there. However, the Israeli scholar Nahama Leibowitz writes this, the identification of the term with an Israelite of neighbor is conclusively refuted by its use in this other verse. This is what she says. This is from Exodus 11, verse two. Let every man ask of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor jewels of silver and jewels of gold. So what does the word neighbor mean there? They're coming out of Egypt. This is the Exodus story. So that, that therefore it means Egyptians. So neighbor can't just be your fellow Israelite because here it means ask your neighbor. It means ask the Egyptians right before you flee. The understanding of the neighbor is really turned on its head in Yeshua's parable of the Good Samaritan. This is from Luke chapter 10. Now a certain Torah lawyer <clears throat> stood up to entrap Yeshua, saying, Teacher, what should I do to gain eternal life? Then Yeshua said to him, What has been written in the Torah? How do you read it? And he replied, You shall love Adonai your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Right? Yeshua said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But wanting to uh, <clears throat> vindicate himself, he said to Yeshua, then who is my neighbor? Ah, I've got him now, right? Wrong. You haven't got him. Yeshua replied, a certain man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He was attacked by robbers who stripped him and beat him. And they left, abandoning him, abandoning him as half dead. 
And by chance, a Cohen, a priest, was going down that road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the opposite side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the opposite side. But a Samaritan who was traveling came upon him. And when he noticed the man, he felt compassion. He went up to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring an an olive oil and wine. Then setting him on his own animal, he brought him to a lodge for travelers and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever else you spend upon my return, I will repay you myself. Which of these three seems to you a neighbor to the one who attacked, one attacked by robbers? And he said, The one who showed mercy to him. Then Yeshua said to him, Go, and you do the same. The Jewish New Testament scholar Amy Jill Levine confirms the common approach in Second Temple Judaism to assume that neighbor meant one's fellow Jew, right? And that's probably how they thought about it. And so Yeshua is challenging that reading. This is what uh, Dr. Levine says, quote, Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan in response to a lawyer's question, and who is my neighbor? The lawyer's question has legal merit. One needs to know who are neighbors and so under the law, and who are not. But in the context of love, his question is not relevant. According to Leviticus, love has to extend beyond the people in one's group. Leviticus 19 insists on loving the stranger as well. For our parable, the lawyer's question is again misguided. To ask, who is my neighbor, is a polite way of asking, who is not my neighbor? Or who does not deserve my love? Or whose lack of food or shelter can I ignore? Or whom can I hate? The answer Jesus gives is no one. Everyone deserves that love, local or alien, Jews or Gentile, everyone. According to Jewish law, the lawyer is responsible for loving those like him and those who are not like him, but who live in proximity to him, although they are not part of his people. The children of Israel, as he defined the term, Leviticus does not explicitly require him to love his enemy who lives across the border, outside the boundaries of the community. In Jewish thought, one could not mistreat the enemy, but love was not mandated. Proverbs twenty five twenty one insists, if your enemies are hungry, give them bread to eat. And if they are thirsty, give them water to drink. Only Jesus insists on loving the enemy. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He may be the only person in antiquity to have given this instruction, unquote. Dr. Levine is demonstrating how Yeshua extends the ethic of the Torah and actually raises raises it, right? He draws from the Torah, but he applies it in a new way with radical compassion. Yeshua furthers the discussion and the question at hand by changing it from, who is my neighbor? Do you notice how he changes it at the end? He changes it to this. Which person in the story acted like a loving neighbor and went above and beyond to, to provide and show compassion? Who acted like a neighbor to the man that was hurting? Not who is my neighbor, right? It's a different question. So we can ask ourselves, how can I be a neighbor to those around me, especially those I disagree with? How can I be a neighbor to those that I have issues with, those that are different from me, those that have different political views than I? So perhaps Mr. Rogers' question is indeed relevant here. So I'd like you to turn to someone next to you, invite them into a relationship of compassion and ask them, won't you be my neighbor? (laughs) All right, now try somebody else. (laughs) Won't you be my neighbor? 
<laughs> You're already neighbors? <laughs> oh, nice. Vecina. Hey, vecinos. Okay. Uh, this brings us to the uh, finally to the as yourself, the kamocha. The plain reading might say that just as you love yourself, you should love your neighbor. And that's a, a good way to look at it. But there's another way to look at it. Um, this is a, a from a commentary uh, that RNH Wiesel makes after analyzing all the other views. The word as thyself is not usually used adverbially, but rather adjectivally. Okay, meaning similar to you. This is from Genesis 44, 18. For you are as Pharaoh, right? It's a little cough, uh, right? Ka-Pharaoh. Uh, I.e., your position is similar to Pharaoh, or there is none so discerning and wise as you are. Uh, likewise, here's the meaning. Love your neighbor who is as yourself, like you. In other words, your neighbor is created in the image of God, a human being like yourself. This brings us back to the empathy idea that we love our neighbor who is created as we are, that we are all image bearers of God. And therefore, we should love those um, who are difficult to love because that's what God does, right? God loves his enemies. He loves the unrighteous and shows them compassion and, and gives them rain and the things that they need. And we are made in God's image. So we are to imitate him. Now, if you ask a realtor, what are the three most important things when purchasing a home? What are they going to tell you? Location, location, location. So if you ask a Torah scholar, what is the most uh, three most important tools for understanding a, a verse in the Bible? What are they going to tell you? Context, context, context. Scott, you get a Torah point. Congratulations. All right. And uh, I don't know what <laughs> I don't know what Jason was saying. The price is right. <laughs> That's something else. That's game shows. All right. So yes, context. So this verse that we have examined word by word, we have to look at the context. It has an amazing context, the words around it. And that's how we will wind down this sermon. So Leviticus 19, uh, verse 17 and 18 reads this. This is all the verses around our famous verse. You can read it with me if you like. You are not to hate your brother in your heart. Instead, you are to firmly rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. You are not to take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am Adonai. What's remarkable about this is that the Torah provides a way for us to love our neighbor in practical ways. Speak the truth in love. If you have an issue, go to the person directly, showing forgiveness and compassion and not keeping a record of wrongs. Not It opens up with doing what? Don't hate your brother in your heart, right? That compels us to forgive, compels us to seek reconciliation, to try to work things out. These ideas are all over the Gospels, especially Matthew 18. Right? It's like Yeshua drew from this passage in Leviticus, the all the all the words and verses around love your neighbor as yourself and explained how to do that practically, right? If you have an issue with your brother, you go to them or you can forgive them in your heart or you can do both. For a wider context, let's look down at verse 33 and 34 because um, it, uh, it repeats the commandment, but in a new way. 
If an outsider dwells with you in your land, you should do to him no wrong. The outsider dwelling among you shall be to you as the native born among you. You should love him. What do you think it says? As yourself. For you dwelled as outsiders in the land of Egypt. I am Adonai, your God. It's the same Hebrew. But now it's not applied only to your to the to the to the uh, neighbor, but it's applied to the stranger, the outsider, for the sake of compassion. Why? Because we were strangers. We were enslaved in Egypt. So it's back again to the idea of empathy. So it's not just about our neighbor, but showing love to the stranger, the outsider, with empathy and compassion based on our own suffering. We know what they've been through because we've been through things, right? And so now let's zoom out to the beginning of the chapter, which frames a lot of these laws and is actually the beginning of the uh, this part of the Torah portion, Kedoshim, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, so this is the beginning of the chapter 19 from Leviticus. Adonai spoke to Moses saying, speak to all the congregation of B'nai Israel and tell them you shall be Kedoshim, holy, for I, Adonai, your God, am holy. The entire idea behind these laws is that we shall be holy because God is holy, similar to what Yeshua said, be perfect because the Lord is perfect. What is this indicating? That we are made in the image of God. We're called to image him, to show his love, and His the love of God should radiate in us and through us toward our neighbor and even toward our enemies and toward the outsider. So we've seen that loving our neighbor as ourselves invokes the idea of compassion, empathy, forgiveness, reconciliation, reaching out to the other, changing our ideas about who our neighbor is and how we can be a neighbor and the good and the blessing of the other person and even extended to those who have wronged us. May we move toward this central commandment more and more as we are filled with the love and acceptance of God and then radiate outward empathy to those who need it. So whom can you ask this week? Won't you be my neighbor? Let's pray. Avinu, our father, we thank you for the the beauty and goodness of your word, of your Torah, how it uh, resonates in our hearts and how it, um, it, references other parts of the Torah and it's, it weaves this beautiful quilt of, of loving our neighbor and reconciliation and forgiveness, Lord. And we, we ask that you help uh, transform us. Uh, we know that we're made in your image and that we do make mistakes. Help us to move toward forgiveness, to move toward even being able to pray for the goodness uh, of those that have wronged us or hurt us. Um, that we can see your your best for them in their lives, oh God. And even those that um, that we are in relationship with that are close to us, um, they may have also wronged us as well. So help us to be forgiving and to love our close neighbors and our more distant neighbors as uh, as ourselves, oh God, and to, to take your Torah into our hearts and uh, to take your love into our hearts and to receive your love that we may love others. And in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.